we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Own the road with T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Whether you're cruising through Nashville on I-40, heading down I-90 to Boston, or touring Santa Cruz on the 5, you'll be covered by the largest 5G network. T-Mobile covers the most interstate highway miles in America with 5G. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Most reliable according to independent third-party Umlaut from crowdsourced user experience data from January to July 2021. Fastest according to Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast version, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You can also find information about my talk show appearances and any new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. Or go to Amazon and look up my author profile as Marlene Pardo Pelliser. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and also listen to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for Scary Storytelling, Nightshade Diary for Classic Horror and Adventure Stories, and of course, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests as we talk about the mysteries of the unexplained. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy theories, and just about anything that is plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm doing well. Uh, you know, this, this show's a little, it's a little bit staggered as far as release date, but, um, you know, it's still kind of crazy. Uh, like everybody knows, I'm spending a lot of time it's because I have no choice here working on the farm. Um, really hot subtropical weather. Remember, South Florida, very hot in the 90s. A lot of afternoon rains, which means it's, you know, who needs a sauna? All you need to do is step outside my house and I've got one going. So, yeah, and the, uh, like I said, and be, you know, I've said it before, the the rain is great for the crops you know the trees and everything but that's a lot of work i'm telling you you i think i could mow the lawn and come back out and the next day it's like huh yeah <laughs> so yeah. a lot of work a lot of work you know like uh the dr malcolm said from jurassic park life will find a way boy plant life will find a way so and then on top of it i got a flat tire my riding lawnmower you know Life as usual, uh, among other things, but besides that, everything is good. So anyway, let's get to the good part. The good part is who I have as a guest tonight, and this is a gentleman by the name of Steve Stockton. He's a veteran outdoorsman, author, and he's been investigating and explained for over 35 years. He's originally from the mountains of East Tennessee, and he's traveled all over the country, many parts of the world. 
and he now makes his home in Portland, Oregon, near the wilds of Bigfoot country in the Pacific Northwest. You know where we're going this with this, right? But anyway, Steve's influences are his gypsy witch grandmother who told him legends and stories as a small child, as well as authors such as Frank Edwards, John Keel, Charles Fort, Lauren Coleman, Ivan Sanderson, Colin Wilson, and David Polites. His published books include Strange Things in the Woods and More Strange Things in the Woods, as well as My Strange World, where he talks about his ex own experiences dating back to childhood. So how are you doing today, Steve? I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm you doing, doing great, Marlene. Thanks for having me on. On the contrary, it is my pleasure. Um, Steve, like I explained to you, um, this is what I ask all my guests. How did you get involved in this field? Was it such as an interest? Did you have your own sighting of uh, a cryptid or Bigfoot? How did that come about? Well, a lot of it is uh, familial. Uh, on my mother's side of the family, they were part of the spiritualism movement around the turn of the last century. Okay. So they were well-versed in Ouija boards and seances, table tappings. My grandmother was a self-described gypsy witch. She told fortunes, read tea leaves and coffee grounds and uh, made love charms and things like that. So I kind of came into it honest. But um, what really started me off was when I was six years old, I saw my first full-body apparition. And it didn't scare me as much as it just piqued my curiosity. And I thought, you know, what's that? That's, that's not supposed to happen. And that just kind of set me on a, a lifelong trek for answers. But along the way, I've probably found more questions than I have answers. Not a lot of answers, but lots and lots of questions. So what was that apparition that you saw? Was it at your home, at your family home? Uh, yeah, it was at the, the home where I grew up. I was out in the yard playing. Our, our driveway was a little over 200 feet long. We were kind of set back from the road. And I was about halfway into the yard, and I was waiting for a friend to come home. Lived about a half mile down the road. We lived out in the country. I see a car coming down the hill. I thought, oh, well, maybe that, that's him and his mom. It was down to an inverted T intersection that was right in front of uh, our yard. And uh, it, it wasn't their car, but suddenly I see a small child, a toddler, probably two years old or so, run out from behind the car and uh, across in front of it. He didn't get out of the car. He came from behind it. And I was thinking, man, that kid's going to get hit because the driver didn't see what I saw. And... Uh, the kid ran down into our yard, kind of catty-cornered, and little kids, sometimes when they've just barely mastered the art of walking, they will start running and then just sort of lose control and fall down. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what this kid did. But when he tripped and fell, he was gone. I mean, just absolutely gone. Wow. Uh, I didn't take my eyes off to the, the spot. I went straight to it. I looked. There was no hole a kid could have fallen into, nothing that I could have mistaken. For a small child, uh, I can still see him in my mind just as clear this day. He was wearing little blue shorts, white shoes, uh, blue suspenders, white shirt, and a matching blue cap. Blonde-haired kid, kind of sandy blonde. But um, no clue. I don't know what it was. Or uh, I did some research and never found any kid that had been run over in that area or anybody that even died on that area. The my grandparents had had a, a dairy farm on that road, so my that side of the family had lived around there for years, and they didn't know of anything. Right, so they would have known. They would have said, oh, yeah, there's this happened a while back or whatever. Yeah. Especially a child death. People kind of remember that. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. 
And that car, was it your friend or was it just some... No, un- it was, was somebody else, just uh, some random driver. But um, said, uh, he didn't react. He didn't right. see the kid run across the road. He looked both ways and turned to the his right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was just, the, the whole thing was strange. That is, that, that, that's incredible. Did you ever see the this child again, by any chance? No, that was the only time. Because I'm even thinking, it, was this attached to the, I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, like you said, you know, your family lived there, they were familiar with the area, they would have known something like a child death that stands out, even when it happened years before people remember, especially a toddler. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, man, I wonder if this was... So attached to that vehicle somehow. Yeah, because if that had happened, it would have been a cautionary tale for me to stay out of the road. Oh, that's sure. that's the way my parents work. They tried to scare you into behaving if they could. Oh, man, let me tell you something. I hate to say it, but a lot of times that really did work with kids. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like, oh, you're going to traumatize your child. But eh, you know what? It works wonders when you want your kids like, not to do things when they're unsupervised. You know? no. uh, but yeah, the um, and the, but you as a child, because you were a child yourself. You said, what? Like, in other words, he's not supposed to be there. What am I seeing? Yeah, I'm just like, that's not supposed to happen. Little kids don't run across the street in front of cars and fall down in the yard and disappear. But, yeah, it didn't scare me. It just, you know, like I said, I just, I've never forgotten it. And I I asked my grandmother about it, and she was, uh, said she was a a granny witch type Mm -hmm. from Appalachia. And she said that it was just the supernatural's way of letting me know that there would be things that I saw sometimes that other people didn't see. And that was basically her interpretation of it. Okay. That's, that's a pretty good interpretation. You know what? That's pretty good because I've heard sometimes that, you know, certain adults will shut kids down or try to make them think it's their imagination. And that was a pretty good explanation from your grandmother. Yeah. Yeah, she was she was wise. I was actually scared of her when I was <laughs> real small because she looked like a witch. She yeah. was... Uh, old and wrinkled and hunched over, you know, and had the long uh-huh. nose and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who was she, your mom's mom? Yeah, it was my, my maternal, or maternal grandmother. My mom's mom had uh, nine boys and my mom, the only girl. And that was oh, so dairy farm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get away with anything because my mom had older brothers and younger brothers. So she knew every trick in the book by the time I came along. I bet, man. It was like, yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I'm sure she, uh, nobody messed with her though, right? I mean, for no, Kenny, with all those brothers not around, brothers, it would yeah. have been like, yeah, that, no, 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 not her. No, you got to be like, no, don't, don't, don't try anything funny with that girl. Somebody's going to beat you up. There's a line of them to do it. <laughs> but so, okay. So here you are. Let me ask you in that area of, this is in Tennessee that we're talking about, right? Yes. East Tennessee. Did you have there any, um, was there any type of version of Bigfoot? Because I know there's different versions depending on what type, what part of the country you're at, where you were growing up, that you heard any stories about that? Um, yeah, there in East Tennessee in particular, West Knox County, there were a couple of stories. There was uh, people that lived farther down the road that I was on that lived over on the lake, and they were having some kind of outdoor barbecue or party or something one night, and on the other side of the lake up on a cliff there was some kind of beast up there that was shrieking hollering at them Mm -hmm. and uh, they shined their floodlights over there and saw what looked to be a eight to ten foot tall creature and then it jumped off the cliff into the lake and that was the only time they ever saw that and in that same area 
on the same side of the lake where their house was, but farther down, uh, I knew a couple of people that were in there hunting one night and something came up from the lake over a bank and uh, scared them and their dogs. And they said it was very tall and, and very hairy looking what they could see of it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So that, Water that was just local. Will attract a lot of animals. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, in the, the Great Smoky Mountains, which is a little bit farther south from where I lived, mm-hmm. uh, straddles the Tennessee-North Carolina border there. There's a lot of Bigfoot sightings in that area. Really? And then going north towards the uh, the Tri-Cities area and up there where uh, Tennessee meets um, with uh, Virginia and North Carolina, there's, there's a lot of sightings up there, too, particularly along the Appalachian Trail, places like the Jefferson National Forest. Yeah, I mean, I had family for a while that was living in Knoxville, and every time we'd go visit, we'd go up to the Smoky Mountains. But back then, I was totally oblivious about Bigfoot. You know, in other words, you, you didn't go looking for it. You didn't expect it. I mean, it was just beautiful to go up there. But, um, you know, this is, you know, how it be, it's become more mainstream uh, as far as uh, now everybody understands that there's even different versions of Bigfoot. Uh, mm-hmm. And some people, and, and it's really funny because some areas have known about this for years, hundreds in some cases, where everybody knows this, knows about this version of Bigfoot in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you have a lot of unexplained disappearances in the Smokies, too. And I know some of the the people like to attribute those to Bigfoot. I don't know personally, but there are some strange circumstances up there, particularly like the, the Dennis Martin case that happened in 1969. Mm-hmm. Uh Father's Day, little boy, his brother, his father, and his grandfather were at Spence Field, which is near the Cates Cove area in the Smokies, had gone up there for a, a day out and uh, met another family, and the, the kids were, were playing either hide-and-seek or trying to sneak up and scare the adults, depending on which story you hear. Well, uh, Dennis's father observed him go into a, a clump of brush, and then a few minutes later, all the other boys were back, no sign of Dennis. Went directly into the, the brush. Dennis wasn't there, and there's been no sign of him now for, I think it's getting close to 50 years, I guess. I, I can't do math in my head. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that same day when he disappeared, there was another family farther down in an area of Cades Cove saw what they thought was a bear. And um, the, the dad was looking at it, and he's like, yeah, that's not a bear. He described it as a large, hairy-looking man carrying something over its shoulder. So there's been some conjecture that maybe that's what happened to Dennis Martin, that some large, hairy creature took him. Right. And, and, and I think that, you know, once David Politis did crunch these numbers, it's become, it's become apparent. In other words, like, wait a minute. Maybe sometimes people knew about different appearances locally because, you know... But then all of a sudden, when you look at the information he's provided, it's like, how could all these people in so many different parts of the country, for example, all have gone missing, you know, under these circumstances, you know, that he's kind of like that common denominator? Yeah, he's found those clusters. And Mm -hmm. another interesting thing about those cluster maps, they also line up with where the largest uh, underground cave systems are in the United States, and also granite deposits. Mm -hmm. So there's something at work there. I I don't have an answer for it. Right, and and it's like, because, you know, and then I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know what, uh, which I've heard this theory that sometimes Bigfoot, they're there, but they're so good 
at camouflaging themselves because this is their habitat that we just don't see them in other words but they're there observing us and um you know and everybody like you know you always have that debate are bigfoot are they friendly are they not friendly do they want to stay out of our way or do they eat us or hunt us for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word uh i know that there's different people and i go you know what i'm thinking okay let's say normally maybe we are not prey or they try to stay out of our way but what if you get one that is hurt or sick and is hungry and bigfoot are huge if you go by the you know how much food does a bigfoot need to consume on a daily basis to maintain a body that weighs hundreds of pounds mm-hmm. and is so tall that that that's a lot of food that that has any any animal you know that that's that big needs to consume a lot on a daily basis just to survive um so maybe we're not usual prey but occasionally we are because for some reason they're hungry yeah hungry enough and even you know bear and things like that that avoid humans if you get between a bear and a cub Mm -hmm. or if they're exceptionally hungry they will attack humans and uh same thing with the bigfoot i mean i've heard stories of people observing them uh, eating a deer and things like that so I don't think it would be too much to jump from a deer to a human if you were hungry enough. Of course not. Of course not. And, and contrary to what most people think, predators are also opportunistic. They'll go after sometimes, because they sometimes they're not sure what their next meal is. They'll go by what presents themselves as easy prey because mm-hmm. it's there and they have the chance and, you know, without getting hurt. So, yeah, and, and I know there's people out there that don't want to think of of Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever actually being antagonistic towards humans, but I, I think personally this I'm, I'm still out on that one because I think that there's too many unanswered questions about what they are and, the, and how can I say it? A lot of people want to put it into the bad, you know, good or bad. It's like, hey, when the deer brings down the gazelle, it's not evil. It's just doing what its nature is to survive. Maybe if they at any time hunt us, they're not doing it to be bad or evil. They're just doing it because they want to survive. Yeah, exactly. It's like people go on and on about shark attacks. Well, the shark, it's nothing personal. He sees ah, you as exactly. food. That would be like if you saw a hamburger walking through your living room and you picked it up and ate it. Yeah, That's it's like the that. nature of the shark. Dinner. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think we, you know, in our civilized world where when you're hungry, all you need to do is go to your kitchen or go through a drive through and get food, you know, if you live in nature, your day, most of your day is spent on consuming enough calories to survive and make mm-hmm. and reproduce. Or in some cases, like you said, if you need to bring in food for your young, uh, that's also another possibility of what might spur them to prey on humans. Now, let me ask you, were, were there, because um, I, I, I know that, um, and I think it's super interesting, these people that have these, like these sightings, like you said, that those that neighbor that had mm-hmm. that sighting. Uh, and, and it makes you wonder, I've heard also that theory that they're, they, they kind of travel around, they migrate, and that's why they're seen at certain times of the year and then other times not. Mm-hmm. What have you heard as far as that's concerned, as far as sightings, do you, is there more plentiful in certain times of the year? Well, it seems to be, but like, say, for example, in the Smokies, there are a lot more sightings in the, the spring and in the fall, mm-hmm. but then that also coincides with when there's more people in the park. 
because okay. you have all the, the foliage and the, the the leaves in the fall, and then you have the, the flowers and things that are blooming out in the spring. So I don't know if it just correlates that way because there's more people and therefore more sightings, or if you know maybe the Bigfoot is more active at that time as well, and it has migrated from, from somewhere warmer or colder, depending on the season. Let me ask you, Steve, and I know that for some people, it's two different things. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. The paranormal or ghostly is in one camp and sightings of Bigfoot or cryptids like, you know, never the two shall meet. Do you think that's accurate or do you think that in some instances they overlap? Oh, I definitely think there's some overlap in there. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times I've found it in areas where there is a lot of, of Bigfoot activity, you'll also have UFO activity yes. and maybe other paranormal events, uh, hauntings or um, yes. the uh, legend of the crying baby, which I've done some research and those are all over the country. There's just about every state has more than one bridge called the crybaby bridge where you can go and hear a baby cry at night. But then I've also talked to people that have had Bigfoot encounters that claimed they heard a baby crying in a cave prior to their encounter. So this one particular person thought that, you know, well, that's that's bait. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you hear a baby, your natural response would be to go look for it. Yes. Well, but you don't find a baby, you find a Bigfoot, and then it's found you. Right. Well, in other words, that <laughs> it made it, it easier it, to hunt. Yeah, it mimics, it mimics you like. I remember one time, this was a couple of years back, I was up in Gettysburg. And, you know, it was like after dark. And we ended up going, was, they kind of close early in certain things, but we went to the equivalent of like a, one of those quick marts. And, you know, I've been doing paranormal investigations since the 1990s, so I'm always... And I see some guys in there, I overhear their conversation. We went in there like to get a soft drink or something, and they belonged to a local paranormal group, and they were going to some bridge out there on the outskirts of Gettysburg that had that same phenomena supposedly mm. the uh a crying baby or or a mom that either threw the baby or she fell off or she committed suicide you know one of those versions mm -hmm. and the crying baby and it was like what, something like what you're describing the crying baby and i remember I, I i introduced myself and i said hey you know what i'll just go out there and just hang out you guys go on the bridge if you want but this is the bridge in the middle of nowhere okay and i think this story supposedly dated back to the 20s or 30s but yeah, I know what you're saying as far as there's some version of it. I've also heard in some cases where people even hear a woman scream also. Yeah. Uh, heard of that too. Now, there are some big cats that will make a sound. Certain types of uh, mountain lions or panthers, if you want to, they've been kind of misnamed that. But they will make a sound, a mimic, that sounds like a woman screaming. Right. And I mean, let me ask you this, we could go there too. I've heard also that in your area, sometimes they've had what they call uh, black panther sightings or a black, um, a big cat sightings. 
I yeah, there's a lot of stories about Black Panthers, particularly in, in Southern Appalachia there. Mm -hmm. I've never seen one myself, but I've, I've actually talked to people that claim that they were eyewitnesses, that they did see them, but yet um, science and zoology tells you that they don't exist, but how do you account for them? But uh, by the same token, there's also been uh, kangaroos sighted in cornfields in Tennessee, Kentucky, and several other places down there. So is it animal out of place or uh, I don't know. Things like that just really fascinate me. Yeah. Even if it's just a normal animal that we know what it is, how did it get there? What's the story behind that? Well, I, um, I was doing research on a book I'm writing and I was looking up things for jaguars. You know, and you know that the Black Panthers really... You know, if you look at them, it's just that the, the, the markings are so light that they're really not really truly, truly black. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I was surprised to find out that jaguars were in North America till maybe around the time of the Civil War. You know, and then they, they got hunted out, and that's why you find them only like in Central America. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that in the southern states there was such a thing as jaguars. We had jaguars. Here yeah, the there's... um. A cave system in uh, Sweetwater, Tennessee. They have an attraction there called the Lost Sea, mm -hmm. and uh, you go in there and they have glass-bottom boats and all this. One in one area there, there's a fossilized uh, jaguar skeleton. Yeah. So yeah, they were were native to there at one time. Yes, I was surprised. I did not know that. I always thought of jaguars, as in the you know the black ones that when the rosettes are so light that they look black. I always thought of them as being always South or Central American animals, and no, they we had them here in North America. Um, hmm. So, but it's very, and you know what? When you said that thing about the kangaroo, I live out here in a rural area, so sometimes people keep a lot of strange animals. Somebody yeah. here around here has a kangaroo who gets out every once in a while, <laughs> and we have, you know, we have like this uh, app that people in the neighborhood and somebody said something. Hey, there's a kangaroo spotted by this. Somebody else said, oh, that belongs to someone. I said, yeah, pretty soon there's going to be sightings of a cryptid, <laughs> you mm. know, because people are like wigged out who have no idea, like, what is a kangaroo doing? Uh, and somebody else around here has a kookaburra. I mean, everyone's mm -hmm. all stuff like that gets out. But again, normally, like I said, people will know, oh, that animal belongs to so-and-so. Not as in like, what is it doing in the middle of the cornfield? How did it get there? Yeah. And then there's there's stories in the South, and again, they may just be stories, but there's a, a common tale in uh, Middle Tennessee about a circus train mm -hmm. that was on the way through there in, the, I think, like the 20s or so that derailed, animals got loose and made it in the wild, and apparently there are still some out there, some exotic animals. It makes for an interesting story. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, possibly, it could possibly happen. Yes, of course it can. And people don't realize how... Um, out here, because of the climate, you know, in hurricanes, a lot of animals have been set free into the wilds, and they've they've basically thrived. Monkeys, a lot of exotic birds that one time were part of a zoo or an exhibit. You know, a hurricane would come through here and kind of destroy everything and let these animals loose, and before you knew it, they were thriving because mm -hmm. the climate was favorable to them, and that was that. And even now, we... God, we have a big problem with uh, invasive species right out here in the Everglades. That's a, well, that's a whole other show. But um, as far as uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes seeing certain animals or certain things, it seems out of place. And then where I'm going with this is, and I'm sure you've heard this theory, where 
or Bigfoot or other cryptids is the reason that they're not seen is because they can travel like interdimensionally. Uh, is that the reason why we just can't find one when we want to, in other words? Yeah, no, I've heard that story. I've heard that people have observed them going in and out of portals in the woods. Mm -hmm. uh, same for Dogman, which right. is like a really mean, uh, really malevolent creature, apparently. Oh, let me tell you something. I'm, when I hear Dogman stories, I'm like, that scares me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to run into one of those. No, I, I've, <laughs> I've heard of people like, I said, I'd probably wig out if I saw Bigfoot, like really saw one. But if I saw Dogman, I don't know what I would do with that because um, they, I don't know, there's no, for me, there's no question whatsoever that I want to be on the losing end of that. No. Humans have the short end of the stick. <laughs> well, just to tell on myself, I've almost burned the house down before trying to dispatch a spider. So I can't imagine <laughs> <laughs> what, what I would do if a Dogman was after me. Yeah, and and it's really weird because some people, um, you know, there's some people that find them, and then there's other people that it, they just, in the most, um, I, I mean, one of the things I think that wigs me out is I've heard of dogmen kind of hunting you or showing up at where you live at or kind of staying close to a certain area or farm or whatever. Like, yeah, I've heard that. Even ones that would track people maybe across states. Yeah. I've, so, oh, my God. How maybe get the, get the mark of the dog man on you. He's relentless. I mean, talk about, man, what a great... But what I'm saying is, yes, I've heard those stories. I mean, sometimes it's the other. It's a you happen to go into their territory, you know, too bad for you. But I've heard all the versions where people have had encounters or sightings, and then, then a few days later, they start seeing things going on around where they live. Mm -hmm. especially if they live in a rural area and there comes a point when they realize or they have another sighting that this thing has somehow followed them and found them yeah and i think it does put a mark on you because a lot of times after that first paranormal experience there'll be more to follow whether it's a shadow person or a ghost or some sort of cryptid i found that people ufos especially if you have some sort of experience like that and kind of open yourself up to it and start looking for it, it, it kind of looks for you, too. I, like a moth to a flame or something, I guess. It kind of yeah. lights you up, and that becomes sort of a beacon. Well, it, and I'm sure you've heard some of the stories attached to Skinwalker Ranch, that they've got every version of what what, what is it that you want. You know, they've got, you know, H, uh, UFOs, they've got cryptids, they've got you name it. And I hadn't even heard... which. I heard it, I didn't hear it directly, I heard it from some other person saying that um, back, not now, not recently, but a few years back when they had that other team there and the family was there, that they uh, actually saw what looked like some type of cryptid. I don't know if they were sure whether it was a Bigfoot or a Dogman, but it was a larger, larger cryptid, basically coming out of like a tube, out of a UFO, like being, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh crap, wow. You know, and there's a similar place out here, just not too far from where I live here in Oregon, so over on Washington State, called the Assetti Ranch. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have everything there. They've seen UFOs, they've seen Bigfoot, they've seen Dogman, uh, other uh, First Nations type uh, creatures or topos or whatever you want to call them. And uh, a lot of the, the First Nations people won't talk about some of that stuff because the elders believe mm -hmm. that just by talking about it or even thinking about it 
you can draw it to you. It's it's that way in the Smokies too. The a lot of the Cherokee legends, the the elders won't talk about it and will admonish you for talking about it because that's that's basically all a tulpa is. It's a thought form that the more energy you feed into it, the more energy it has to manifest. Right, and the matter, of, yeah. In other words, even if it exists, you know, you're calling it to for you to have an encounter with it. Yeah, and, and you hear it. As a matter of fact, a lot of times people don't realize because a lot of people look at like the you know the the. Native American tribes out in the Southwest about the skinwalker. But I think a lot of different tribes, regardless of where they're at, they have certain entities or beings that they believe in that they all come to the same conclusion. We're not going to talk about this. Right. We're going to ignore it. And it's almost like if you pretend you don't know about them, they'll leave you alone. But once they become aware that you're talking about them, so therefore you're aware of them, then that's when you put a bullseye on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, in the south, of like the the Raven Mockers and and some of those uh, Native American legends that you you don't want to attract to. That basically, once they've got their mark on you, you're you're marked to die. That's that's what they do. They they eat your your life out of you. What is the Raven Mockers? I've never heard of that. What is that exactly? It's um, some sort of entity that. I don't know how it's initially attracted to you other than thinking and talking about it, but it, it feeds off uh, pain and uh, death and things like that, and it, they believe that it will literally, it will come and consume you just for messing with it. And what does it take to, sh- is it ravens? Is it usually, because I know sometimes certain, you know, like uh, certain traditions, it's like if you sight a certain animal, yeah. it's like an they- omen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, lot of the uh, the Native Americans stuff. They have a legend for every creature and every plant and everything under the sun. But yeah, there's a lot of the the totem animal for whatever that is. It can can be good or bad depending on the circumstance. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The interpretation or the location or when. I know sometimes it could be like almost like you said, almost like this is a bad omen. And I'm, let's face it, what's worse than, you know, death, you know, something's coming for you. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever, I mean, let me tell you something, that story that you said about that kid. Once you grew up, did you ever have any more encounters or sightings of any uh, paranormal beings? Um, not so much beings. I've, I've had some different encounters. Um, I've, every house I've lived in has been haunted to some degree, okay. but again, I don't know if it's the house or if it was me yeah. because okay. I seem to attract stuff like that. Yes. Uh, in that same area where I had the sighting of the little boy about two years later, I had something chase me out of the woods that I couldn't see. I could see where the, the leaves were being disturbed. It was kicking up leaves. I could see the branches several feet high being affected there was nothing there but it was chasing me and uh i ran away from it screaming and uh like i was about a quarter mile from my house and i was making such a ruckus that my mom had stepped out of the back porch to see what all the noise was about uh went back up there with my father and older brother and they could see you know where it had been but there was nothing there and they you know named off all these uh, animals, both wild and domestic, and I'm just like, no, no, no. You know, I know what a dog looks like. I know what a bear looks like. It, it wasn't anything. I couldn't see anything. So here you were. It, you were still a child then. Yeah, I was eight years old. 
and you're what playing playing around and how did you realize that something was stalking you because that's what it sounds like it was doing yeah there was an old ditch there that i found out later had actually been the dirt road through the area back during revolutionary war times mm -hmm. and i was just kind of walking around the woods we had a little over 26 acres with only about five cleared off so it was a kid's paradise i could wander in the woods all i wanted and be within you know a short distance of home and not be trespassing so I just kind of wandered up there, and, and I looked down in the ditch. It was probably 8, 10 feet from where I stood to the bottom of it, and I just turned around to walk away, and I didn't observe anything in there. But when I walked away, I heard something running in the leaves, and I turned around about the time it came up over the top of the ditch and directly at me. Well, then fast forward, what, um, 15, so it would have been seven years later, we were getting ready to move from there, and I was just out wandering around in the woods and uh, happened to go back up there. And that was the first time I'd been back up to the, the place where that happened, since it happened. And I was just kind of, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot bigger now. I'm a teenager. I'm not scared of anything. And I'm thinking, I wonder what that was that scared me when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I, I walked up to the same place. I looked down in the ditch. Didn't see anything. Again, turned, started walking away. And I heard that same sound, something running in the leaves. Turned around, there it comes again. Leaves are kicking up two or three feet in the air. Branches are swaying, moving. There's nothing that I can see. And uh, I didn't scream and cry that time, but I didn't waste any time getting out of there. I blame you. And then flash for fast forward about another, let's see. trying to do math in my head here about another six years after that mm -hmm. uh, I was working in West Knoxville and uh, somebody that I worked with that I only knew from work had invited me to a party after work so I didn't know him very well other than from work but I went and um, one of those parties where I didn't know anybody I only knew the person that I went there with and didn't really know him well uh, some of the girls at this party had found a Ouija board under the host's couch and had dug it out and decided they wanted to play with it so they were going around the room asking different people questions. And when they got to me, I thought, I've got a good one for you. And all I said was, what scared me when I was a kid? Didn't didn't give them any additional information. The guy I worked with had never heard that story. I hadn't, hadn't told it to anybody at that point other than my family. And uh, the Ouija board spelled out W-A-T-E-R-S-P-R-I-T-E. And they looked at me, and I just shrugged my shoulders like, water, Sprite, what, is it thirsty? Does it want a drink? But the next day, I went to the library. This was in the days before the Internet. Uh -huh. And I had the reference librarian help me, and we looked up what we could find on water sprites or water spirits. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember which one it is at the moment. It's either a naiad or a dryad. One right. protects the forest, and the other protects the water. Mm -hmm. But that's it was a spirit of the water on that property and just literally yards from where that incident happened there were seven natural springs that flowed into one creek which went and turned into the lake Wow! so according to the Ouija board from people working it that had no prior knowledge of me it was some sort of uh, elemental or, or fay spirit and that that's as good as explanation as any I've you heard know, and again this is like of all the things that it could have answered you know if, if it was like you know, you know how people say, well, and I'm not going to say, you know, use your subconscious mind, um, you know, 
That's a yeah. that's a that's a very unusual answer. Yeah, and even as far as me influencing it, I didn't even know what that was at the time. Right, I had right. like, certainly uh, never considered that's what was in the woods after me. That yeah, that that you could say, well, I it, somehow or other I contributed towards the answer because I thought that that's what it was. Yeah, I'm sure you might have thought you didn't you didn't know what it was, but you didn't think it was that. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, my my mind wouldn't have went there. Now there there are reports recently of some tor- sort of a predator type creature. They're calling it the translucent being. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by root metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Or the glimmer man really? that people see in the woods. It's, it's like from the movie Predator. You can see the outline, the shape uh-huh. of whatever it is, a, a vaguely humanoid shape, but you can see through it except it kind of sparkles or shimmers. Sort of like uh, heat rising up off the, the highway in the summertime. Mm-hmm. But right, it's a like moving. You can only see it. Oh, not really. But you can yeah. see like a disturbance. Yeah, there's a, a really good story. I think David Pilatus talked about that one where a, a lady was bow hunting mm-hmm. and saw something over in the next tree that fit that description. Wow. She could see through it, but with, you know, like looking through plastic or something. There was a guest that I interviewed, as a matter of fact, it was like three years ago, and he worked uh, up by, um, by Southern California, that area out there, and he says that when, you know, they, they, the, they were the, uh, I guess, CBP Customs, you know, immigration, anyway, they were out there, and he says when you got, this was back in the 90s. You know, when you got out of the academy, basically you got, like in all jobs, the worst shift, which was overnight. Mm-hmm. And he said he wasn't there when he heard about it, that they had a lot, that they they didn't have lights out there, but they had a lot of cameras that were heat signature. And that he says two guys that he knew of, that they were, as a matter of fact, they were in the same class. They all went out there. They were released to work all at the same time they were out there and they had a jeep or something and they had somebody else with a heat signature camera and where they were at because basically they're in the middle of nowhere that's part of the job and that this person told them they said that they heard some weird noise and there was like a small creek running through there and they heard something splashing but they couldn't make out what it was and they said this was a really shallow small creek it like it wasn't like oh something's you know they couldn't make out they were hearing something but they couldn't make out what it was and then they i guess they raised the person that had the camera and said hey do you see it? and the person told, i don't know i don't remember if it was uh 
a superior officer or somebody says, I want you to get in your truck and I want you to leave right now. Do not argue with me. Do not just do what I'm telling you right now. And they were like, oh, okay. And apparently whoever was manning that his signature camera out there was seeing something equivalent to what you were talking about, something that was like eight or nine feet tall. Um, wow. That they could pick up with heat signature, but they weren't able to see it. They could hear it. They could hear something out there. And this, of course, in the middle of the night, but they just couldn't see anything. So they were like trying to figure out what is that? Um, so I've had, I've heard different versions of that, which is the equivalent of something that has like a cloaking device, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's able to distort the, the, the color uh, the spectrum around it to basically fade into, which I personally think that um, I don't think uh, Bigfoot actually has a cloaking device. I just think they're really, really, really good at camouflage. Yeah, that, that you just yeah, don't see I them. Agree. I agree. I think this is something far removed from Bigfoot, and I, I think you're right. I think it is some sort of technology or something that we're not aware of and not supposed to know about that sort of thing. Yeah, no, no, they. Um, as a matter of fact, he was telling me, well, you know, when they got back, they finally, the next day, they went to the superior and they said, hey, you need to tell us, well, why did you tell us to leave it? The guy, the, the superior officer didn't want to talk about it. He just said, that's fine. You know, you just need to do what I tell you to do. <laughs> you know, like, we're not going to, it's like, that's a weird thing to tell somebody. But yeah, it was trying to get very hush-hush because they, he, you know, he said several stories that were a lot of weird stuff going out there. And I guess they were like, under instructions, you, you got to keep a lid on this because pretty soon we won't have anybody wanting to work for us. <laughs> so, all right. But yeah, it, it's, um, there's a lot of things sometimes that, again, I want to say, uh, happenings or sightings that are independent one of the other. And it's only when somebody, let's say like Dave Politis puts crunches the thing and you go, wow, there's a trend here. There's a, there's a, this is going on. I mean, a bunch of people have been seeing it. Uh, same thing. I remember uh, with a Skinwalker Ranch. I, I remember I was doing research for something else, and and I looked it up, and I looked up. We're back in the fifties. One of the original guys that he lived out there, by the way, he was a high school teacher. That he did, he published a small article in the paper there about them spotting a UFO or UFO lights out there in the fifties. I, I found the, the newspaper article about that. You know, so this wasn't something that just happened when that last family was living out there. Apparently, they had had very unusual sightings for years and years and years prior to that. And of course, you know, the land had a, a reputation already. But um, again, that connection with the UFO and paranormal, uh, I've gone to, there's a local uh, group that meets here that they, you know, move on, will come down here occasionally and put a, a presentation for them. And, you know how people get together after the presentation and they talk and I've had people come up and talk to me and tell me that they've either had a sighting of UFO or even extraterrestrial and all of a sudden they start having paranormal events taking place in their house and they cannot figure out why mm -hmm. you know it's like yeah that seems to be very common and again it's you know what's the connection there what's the correlation exactly. or back in the day some of the first modern ufo witness cases they would be visited you know by the men in black even though they hadn't talked to anybody about it they would have people show up and tell them not to talk about it right 
And this was oh, beyond no the, before there. the time of the internet or, you know, that the, how mm -hmm. could they find out about this? You know, like so it, it all kind of ties together. Um, like John Keel wrote about the, the Mothman there in West Virginia. That was heavily connected with men in black and UFO activity. That same area. There's a lot of Bigfoot sightings there. It's also a lot of caves. So, you know, what strange. What, let me ask you this. Steve. That's very interesting. I mean, I went down there and I, you know, were the Mothman and. I saw everything that they had there in the town and but I didn't know uh that you mentioned something that there was prior to the Mothman sighting or after as far as the sightings of Bigfoot when did that happen uh those came later like I want to say like in the late 60s early 70s okay okay um so in other words but, it was like okay this was like the opening for paranormal events yeah and then it started even before the Mothman spottings. There was UFO activity in the area. They talked about seeing uh, unexplained lights around uh, the munition area and the um, Chief Cornstalk uh, hunting reserve there. And then that those were also areas where the Mothman was later spotted. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That it's almost like uh, then we you know we could go back to that. You know, was there a terror? there in an intra or intra inter or intradimensional portal mm -hmm. you know whether it's and, a rip or an actual doorway who knows and i've found that a lot of other cases like uh the flatwoods monster mm -hmm. in flatwoods west virginia for example that's another one where uh there was uh, lights in the woods and uh lights flying over the houses and hearing things crash in the woods prior to that being seen and then just just about any of those Particularly the Appalachian cryptids, um, the Hopkinsville goblins in Kentucky, those were sighted after what was a UFO encounter. What, what was that last thing you mentioned? The what goblins? The Hopkinsville goblins happened, I want to say, in 1952 in uh, the Kelly, Gob uh, Kelly uh, Hopkinsville area in Kentucky. There's a family had observed a, a light crash somewhere. It's, it's almost the same story mm -hmm. as the um, Flatwoods case. And uh, the dogs started barking, and they looked out, and there was a, a little man about three, three and a half feet taller, a creature, somewhat humanoid in shape. Okay. And uh, some of the menfolk grabbed their guns and went out and found that they were, were all over the place. They tried shooting at it, and it would just skitter away and basically all night these creatures tried to get in this house and there was one guy that had walked out on the porch to look one was on top of the porch and reached down and grabbed him by the hair of the head and uh, they finally I think around daylight they made for their cars and drove to the, the sheriff's office brought the sheriff's back and of course there was no sign of anything then but it's a real, real interesting case out of uh, southeastern Kentucky Pulaski County I think Wow, you know what? You know, little things sometimes they scare me more than big things. I hate to say, <laughs> when people start talking about little three foot things, it's like, oh my god, this is not going to show good. up and, and try to get in your house and reach through oh, the window man. and grab you with the hair and things. Right. Yeah, yeah, I saw something three feet like dart behind my TV, and you hear this, it's like, oh, this is not good. This is not good because I, I've, you know, what of all the times I've heard sightings, either if they were firsthand or people retelling. It's just, just it's an announcement that whatever is there is not good. Mm -hmm. it, it usually is pretty dark. And then um, 
as far as attacks go than out here, also in Washington State, just in the shadow of uh, Mount St. Helens is where the, the Ape Canyon Bigfoot attacks happened in the 1920s. That's a famous case where uh, some miners were trapped in a cabin by a group of Bigfoot and uh, the, the creatures threw boulders uh, onto the cabin all night. There was even one part of the story where uh, a big hairy arm came through and tried to grab an axe and uh, they supposedly shot one of them up on a, an overhang and it fell down into the, the valley there. And uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but one of the, the witnesses that it happened to wrote a little book about it. And uh, they, they called them ape men. At the time, they didn't you know, think of Bigfoot or Sasquatch or anything like that. And uh, recently, there's been a paranormal group that they're being kind of secretive about it. But they've been going up there, and they think they've located the place where this cabin once stood. Okay. And if so, then near there, they're thinking there might be a Bigfoot uh, skeleton from the one that they supposedly shot and killed that fell 300 feet off a cliff. But who knows? I haven't heard any updates on that in a while. That would be very interesting. As far it, as... it would be some providence. That, that would be awesome. I know, wasn't there, I don't know, this might be the same story. I heard something also about that area, um, some lumber, a mining, like a mining camp, you know, that they have those, uh, you know, they fell the trees up in the northwest and there was a, a logging camp mm -hmm. that also had some type of encounter also with Bigfoot or something, you know, like, in other words, it was unpleasant. What Something was really uh, decimating the, the, the people out there to the point that I think some of the lumberjacks just like, we're out of here. See you. Bye. That's it. We're leaving. Yeah, I know the story you're, you're talking of, but I can't think of the details right, right now. Right, but it exactly. was one where the Bigfoots were so upset, they were like uh, damaging bulldozers and some right. of the equipment that they were using for logging and things. They were yeah. were upset. I can't, that, that, I'm can't. i pretty sure it was somewhere in the Pacific Northwest mm -hmm, here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you think, you know, some of these guys, I, and I'm, I'm going to put it out, men sometimes have a hard time admitting to stuff like this because they don't. So when men come out and say that, Especially, it's like you better believe they're scared. It's like I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, especially loggers and miners, people like that. You know, yeah. they have to be tough to climb trees and go underground and and things. And then for them to admit that, yeah, something scared me. You know, that's that takes a lot. I think. Yes. Yes. And uh, I think that uh, that's why a lot of them when it, they actually, and and I tell everybody, you know, for every story that you hear from somebody, there's a lot more people that never talk about their experiences. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's what my first two books are, Strange Things in the Woods. Mm -hmm. That was me talking to family and friends and friends of family and things like that from basically childhood on. I was a late in life, unplanned baby, so my parents' friends were all their age. And mm -hmm. my parents were the age of my friends' grandparents. So if I went somewhere to visit with my parents, there were no kids for me to play with. So I'd sit and be quiet as long as I could. And then when there was a lull in the conversation, I would ask whoever we were visiting, do you know any stories? Do you know ghost story? Have you ever seen anything weird? You know, and, and a lot of them were, were reticent to tell you about it. You almost had to drag it out of them with a chain. Mm -hmm. But then once you got them started talking and they realized that you were listening and that you weren't going to make fun of them, so that fear of ridicule is oh, yeah. quiets a lot of people. But uh, I gathered stories that way. And uh, 
it's just amazing since I've published both those books, the people that have come to me and say, you know, I, I read that story. That makes me want to tell my story. That makes me feel good, you know, because otherwise there's there's stories that might not have been heard. And then all these stories I've heard, I've sort of preserved those. Right. And then the, the third book came along. I do a lot of uh, radio shows and interviews mm-hmm. like this. And inevitably, either a caller or the host would ask, well, what about you? Have you ever had any experiences? We kind of did it backwards this time. Uh-huh. But that's where my third book came from, My Strange World. And that's a book of some of my encounters from childhood up to now. Okay. And now, I know that what you're talking about as far as people retelling, sometimes a lot of them will spend decades with a story kept to themselves. So you know how mm-hmm. even amongst family, you, you kind of get the reputation. Yeah, he's the one that back in 20 years ago saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, And they, they don't want it. So they don't even sometimes, they go almost their afterlife not talking about it. And all they need, need is a sympathetic ear mm-hmm. to actually talk about it or with somebody. And says, it just you know kind what? of opens them up and they kind of relive it. I've had people like, you know, get kind of, you could tell they were shaken or upset mm-hmm. when they're recalling this story because it, it affected them at such a, a base level, you know, but even though it had been years and years ago when they started talking about it again and you could see in their eyes that they were reliving it. And that, that was some of the most fascinating stuff, I think, because there, there was no reason, you know, for anybody to lie or to just make up a story. It was people that I knew and grew up around and trusted in a lot of cases, it was family members. And, um, you know, there would have been no point in deceiving me. Now there were, you know, certain wild tales that were told you know around the supper table around the campfire and things like that but this i looked more for the personal experiences and not local legend or folklore or anything like that like you know crime babies like those are everywhere apparently yeah yeah those are everywhere too there's there's one of those in the smokies uh the phantom hitchhiker of roaring creek motor court or motor trail motor something t- okay. <laughs> roaring creek yeah there's something, and, and some of the, you know, a lot of people think put it into the urban legend, but I could see in some cases where there might have some validity. Yeah, I, I think there's some truth to, to some of it somewhere, and maybe it just got passed along, and the people changed the location instead of having to try to explain. Well, it happened, you know, here or in uh, Route 44 in uh, Massachusetts, where there's a famous one up there, and just changed the location. Because the, the Roaring Fork uh, Motor Trail, that's the one I was trying to think of, mm-hmm. it's it's exactly the same. A girl perished in a, a fire in the woods in one story, and she keeps trying to get a, a ride back home. Uh, in the second version of it, she was uh, killed in a car crash on that road after a date. And she's still trying to find her way home. Uh, people that pick up the hitchhiker, a couple of different tales there. Sometimes she'll borrow a coat because she's cold, or uh, she'll just simply vanish when they get to the the home. And um, in all the cases, uh, parents will usually come to the door, usually a mother, and say, and she'll show them a picture like, "Yeah, that's her." Like, "Oh, that's my daughter. She uh, died tragically 20 years ago, and she keeps trying to get home." And in the cases where a, a coat or a garment was buried, it'll be found when they go to the cemetery where the person's actually buried, it'll be folded neatly and left on the grave. But that, that story, those little variants of it, but it's pretty much the same yes. all around the country, that the, the ones that I've collected. Yeah, it's kind of tailored to the area, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it might be. I, I, I've heard of that, that, that that's something like, 
but in some case in, in some cases i know some people have done the research and it does there is a correspondence like an actual that tragedy did take place because there's others mm. that when you look it up there's no reference whatsoever to any girl getting killed or any accident and there's others that they've actually said yeah you know it does show that this did happen now as to whether it really is a phantom hitchhiker you never know but but still as far as uh but the thing that you were talking about when people are retelling the story, they're telling me they're deeply affected. I tell people, you know what? Especially people that don't go looking for it. They're not ghost hunters. They're not out in the woods hoping, you know, Sasquatch hunting, whatever. They're just doing whatever they're doing. And they have an encounter or a sighting, which basically turns your sense of reality on its side. And that's Absolutely. a difficult thing for people to grapple with because... You have to be asking yourself, well, if this is possible, what else is out there? Yeah, it'll it'll absolutely stand you on your head if you, especially people that have never ventured or never given much yes. thought into that. And you still get some people that are in just deep denial mm -hmm. that, well, I've never experienced anything paranormal. And then they'll be, but there was this one time. And then yeah. they've got a story. Know, like, got there you go. Story. Like, oh, but it wasn't a ghost. It was just, you know, my imagination or I'd been working too hard or something like that. But if ghosts were real, that's what it would have been. You know, one of those right, type right, explanations. Right. And, 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 and yeah, I've told the story. I have an aunt. Uh, she's a very no-nonsense personality. No-nonsense, you know. And, you know, whatever, anybody brought that, you know, anything with the paranormal and be like, oh, that's all blah, 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 blah. people, like you said, wild imaginations, people lying. I remember one time, this was a few years back, we were having some type of conversation. I don't remember. And her and my mother were, when they were young, they were sent to what's it called a Catholic boarding school. Mm -hmm. Right. Where they had nuns. This was, and it was a very old building. And it was one of those compounds where you have, the convent, the school, and the church. And of course, this was, you know, girls were kept separate, whatever. She was. She said she was a little kid. She was around six or seven. And she says one day she's sitting in her classroom and she says she looked towards the door of the classroom and she sees an altar boy standing there, a young altar boy with this very sad look on his face. She's a little kid and she says, She's thinking to herself, where did he come from? What is he doing here? And she says that she thought it was really weird because his face was, he was so sad looking. But part of her mind was, he's not supposed to, he was dressed like an altar boy. Like, what is he doing here? This is a school and he's, you know, they don't, this is where the girls are. And, and she says she looked away and then she looked back and he was gone, like flash. There was no, and she kind of was like trying to say, well, I didn't know. And I was like, that was a ghost. It was a ghost, you know, mm -hmm. and like you said, you, if you, any other time if people talk about ghost stories, she was like, oh, come on, come on. That's not real. When she told that story, I looked at her and I go, really? She's like, well, no, I mean, and I was like, yeah, okay, where did this little altar boy come out of, you know, what, did he erupt out of the tiles? I mean, <laughs> and, um, you know, and as a child, you weren't expecting, you're sitting, your little kid's sitting in your classroom. So, yeah, I know what you mean as far as people, even the staunchest of people that are in denial about the paranormal or ghosts sometimes, like you said, you catch them at the right moment, they start talking about their own experiences. Yeah, and I found that a lot of it occurs during childhood, and I think that's because 
the younger you are, you haven't been programmed. You haven't been trained to not believe in it. Uh-huh. And that just that ability to believe can make things happen sometimes, sure. I think. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that suspension of disbelief. In other words, you see what's there. You don't try to filter it as in, how could I be seeing that? That's not supposed to be there. Uh, I'm sure you've heard people see what they expect to see. When you were a kid, you just, hey, sky's the limit. Whatever's there is like, wow. Just like when you described, which is such an eerie tale, this thing about this little boy basically popping out from behind a car. Like of all the things that you think that you could expect to see, I'm sure that was Mm -hmm. probably the last thing. Yeah, I had no idea, you know, that was going to have any kind of encounter or anything like that. And then there it was. But in retrospect now, I think it was attached to the car somehow. That, yeah. And since it came from behind the car and maybe, you know, a body had been hidden in a trunk, God forbid, or uh-huh. something, yeah. you know, like that. But wow. I, I don't think the person that was driving the car had any knowledge or anything to do with the little boy's spirit being attached to the car. It's an old car, even For at all that you time. know, whoever maybe that happened got rid of that car, like real quick, sold it cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of deal. It happens. It could be anything. could have been an accident. The kid could have locked himself in the trunk and yeah. died because of the heat. And, you know, but that's just yeah. one of those things. I didn't didn't research it that far. I just kept no. it to local. And the thing that, is, how would you ever know road. about it? How would you? Uh, I mean, there's yeah. been stories I've heard of parents or even family members. They don't realize the child's behind the car. and They back up the car and they kill the child. Mm-hmm. And, could have been I mean, something it could have like been that. a million variations. Uh, but yeah, you could. <clears> sometimes <throat> those things, there's absolutely no way to trace it unless you just, for some reason, it happened really close to where you live at. But after that, forget it. And I could see where somebody would want to get rid of that car, whatever the circumstances were. Mm-hmm. They and, and then again, um, it's it's. I know it's very sad, but I want to say also one of the scariest types of hauntings is usually things that involve children or something that sounds like a child. Yeah. Um, and that's why I tell people, you know, when I used to do investigation, when they started, they would start describing childlike either talk or something that look, I'd be like, be very careful because <laughs> you made a good point. That's the good way to bring down your your defenses because everybody is concerned when they think it's a child. Yeah. And there's there's never to me anything more frightening than the sound of a child whether it's laughter or crying <laughs> in the pitch dark at two AM when there's not supposed to be any children around. Yeah, that's like okay, where's <laughs> the exit? Quick, quick, quick. No. I don't care, yeah. I love children, but not right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, and um, yeah, I, I've, I mean, I still do a lot of consulting as far as paranormal cases. And um, like I said, we'll have like, oh, the family or the individual, they're saying that they think that this might be a child because this and this. And I'd be like, oh, I said, be very careful. I said, I'm not saying it's not, but I've seen more often than not that this is like the Trojan horse. Mm-hmm. of um, possibly a very malevolent uh, spirit wanting the either the individual or the family to engage with it because this is the point that they see it as an invitation and then it blossoms from there. Mm-hmm. You know, just like what, you know, you hear these stories about the Ouija boards, but the next thing you know, people are like, oh my God, you know, like, 
whatever right. it is, now I've got it. It wants to be with me all the time. Yeah, yeah. don't don't invite anything in. Same with the, the black-eyed children or the <laughs> vampire legends, anything like that. Once you invite it in, it's there, and it can be right. a lot harder to get rid of than it was to let in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of... Uh, I mean, it's recent, like, an urban folklore, like Slender Man and all these, and it makes you wonder if some of these, what are considered modern, I don't know, I don't want to say the cryptids, but modern urban myths really <clears throat> have a basis in something that was far older, but just had a different name. Yeah, I, I think that works. It, it could be some sort of entity that's kind of been called forth and, you know, it, it doesn't mind a name change. Or I've also heard the theory, especially with things like the Slender Man and the Rake and some of those that started online, that just the idea of people thinking about it and telling stories about it, and uh, they made a video game about Slender Man, and, and it, it's, again, that idea of the topa from the Native Americans, mm -hmm. that you can, you can create a thought form that can come and interact in our world. I had the little girls that were going to kill another little girl as a sacrifice to Slenderman. Yes. And where would they get that from? That's something very evil at work there. Right, and and people no, they actually did kill her. They did. They, they, did they? Okay. Yeah, either they killed her or they was, knifed her. But that, but I know that. And you're thinking, I. I can't two remember. Of them, they were both on this. I, I know they went to trial for it. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember if the other girl died or if she was just injured. I was like, yeah, yeah but it was, was like, where did? these kids lose touch with reality mm -hmm. um that they i don't know i mean that, that that's something that's a real mind bender that they're willing because i mean you know when you're young especially when you're an adolescent you think of stupid things and you get scared easily and whatever but between that and actually wanting to harm or kill another human being Mm -hmm. And think that it's okay that you know this yes. is what we need to do. This yes. is you know, it's like hmm, okay. That is, a, that, for lack of a better word, you you definitely you see. I would say there's possibly without knowing the particulars, some type of spiritual attachment, obsession mm -hmm. or possession, something in there that w will take a child that maybe has some behavior disorder problems and push them that extra mile to all of a sudden. Oh, by the way, hook up with another kid who's on the same page. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. There. And they, <laughs> they they plan it. There was premeditation there. That, yeah, that I want to say that sometimes you DC to some dark influence there uh, where you get disturbed kids that actually go that extra step. Yeah, because a lot of them, serial killers and whatnot, they'll start out killing small animals. Well, that's mm -hmm. a sort of sacrifice. Who knows what you're summoning forth? If you can take the life of some yes. small, innocent creature like mm -hmm. that, then anything that likes that, anything dark, it's, evil. Blood, yes. it's going to attach to that and just, you know, move yes. you right along your, your path there. Yes, yes, they graduate. In other words, yeah, they feed it blood and, and, it gra and you graduate. Like you said, you go up the, the food chain to, uh, I mean, ultimately what is the most offensive sacrifice as far as human beings are concerned is another human being. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I've heard of that. And uh, it's, you know, a, a lot of people I know look at that and they say, no, this is strictly a... a person or a child with psychological or psychiatric problems and i'm not going to say that's not present but sometimes i think there's also a darker aspect in the background yeah absolutely i think there's a that component of it as well yeah 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 
Well, anyway, Steve, it has been fascinating to speak to you. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And for my podcast listeners, if they wanted to find out more about you or were to buy your books, how can they get that information? Uh, my books are available on uh, Amazon and um, uh, Barnes and Noble. Get <laughs> the other Barnes place, and, okay. and they're also uh, just come out in paperback. In fact, the first two books were combined into one, re-released in paperback. And My Strange World is out in paperback now. Okay. Uh, Strange Things in the Woods is available on Audible as an audio book. Oh, okay. Um, I have a YouTube channel. I have two of them, actually. Okay. Uh, my main channel is uh, 13 Past Midnight, okay. and the other one is Missing Persons and Mysteries, and okay. cover a lot of different stuff between the both those. Uh, the 13 Past Midnight is mainly paranormal, true paranormal stories, mm-hmm. and Missing Persons and Mysteries is just what it sounds like, disappearances and uh, missing 411 type fare. Perfect. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Steve, I want to, again... I want to wish you. Do, do you have any books planned for what's left of this year? Uh, I've I hope to have another one out by Christmas. I'd had okay. one that I thought was going to be ready in the fall. Mm-hmm. That one's been delayed, so I'm working on another one. One, maybe two, by the end of this year. Okay. All right. Very well. well I want to wish you then the best of luck on your projects, and I would hope that we, I can bring you back and we could talk some more because you you've oh, got such absolutely. fascinating stories. Absolutely. I've been a, had a wonderful time, Marlene. Thank you for having me on. I'll come back anytime you'll have me. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Wow, see, you guys have been seeing the um, the covers of the books that I've been flashing them. So let me tell you something, his stories are right right up my, you know, that's, 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 that, that's the kind of stories I love, okay? I love to hear those stories. And I know some of them are firsthand experiences, other ones are retold, uh, you know, maybe something that happened to a family member, grandparent, but... That doesn't mean that, and and I've I've talked about this before. I said, you know what? There's a tendency sometimes that when people hear stories that are like, oh, a few years back, seventy years back, fifty years back, hundred years back, it's like, "Mm, uh, yeah, you know what? That's probably made up, or maybe that was the person. Why? What people a hundred years ago, eighty years ago, didn't have eyes in their head, you know, or whatever, really? It's like the people want to discount it because they think that people, um, you know, uh, misconstrue or, or saw something that wasn't really there. You know what? I hate to say it, but contrary to now when everybody is ghost hunting or looking for a cryptid, back then people really weren't looking to have a paranormal experience. Why? Because a few years back, sometimes things like this did carry a stigma with it. Just like he was saying about people that hold back on talking about their experiences, even with their family members, and you would think, well, why would anybody do that? Because until not too long ago, when you look at the length of time that we're talking about, seeing something like that, which didn't fit into the five senses, you could get like, you would be that person, let's say in your family, or in your job, or in the town, or it would follow you around, and it and it was a negative connotation. All right, uh, same thing as as far as having psychic experiences or seeing, like he said, this little child pop out from behind a car. You know, uh, whereas people now talk about it like, oh yeah, and then I saw this, and you know, I saw something walk out of my closet. And uh, back then, people. Or, and then I'm sure you guys have heard it, especially when you're children, it's like, be quiet, don't say that, don't talk about what you saw. 
And you would think, well, you know, this parent, why are they being like that with a child? Believe it or not, they're trying to protect their kid. You know, a while back, you did not want your child to be the child who sees dead people. How's that? And some parents handled it differently. Some were like, they would take the time to explain, look. And others would say, shut up. Don't ever talk about that again. You hear me? That's it. Or shame them. And I know sometimes it was the wrong approach. But a lot of times it was ultimately because they wanted to protect your child. So, yeah, there's a lot of stories that go back a few years that despite the passage of time, they're just as valid because the people that report them did it sometimes despite maybe being ridiculed or I'm telling you, and I know that a lot of people think of, um, you know, there was a time there was spiritualism going on and the Fox sisters. Are, but you'd be surprised it was still a good portion. And we're going to talk here about the United States, about Americans. There was still a very, very large portion of the United States that was not on board with the spiritualism thing. Yeah, they would love to hear ghost story like around Christmas time. Ooh. But as far as actually like believing, you know, like that, it was like, nah. Or they would tell a story, but. It wasn't really like a favorite thing, like you didn't want to be the one. Yeah, you could retell a story, but that was about it. Uh, so a lot of times when you hear these stories, like I told them, for every story that's told, there's about a dozen more from that never get retold. Either the same circumstance or similar, or whatever the case might be, I guarantee you there's a bunch of people that just go to their graves and say, I'm never going to talk about this. I, number one, I don't want anybody to attach this story to me. Or number two, I just, I'll just i just pretend I never saw that. And that'll make it go away. I've spoken to a lot of people about that, by the way. I've spoken like exactly like what he described. People that have kept things for 30 years. And then you catch them and either it doesn't matter anymore. Or like, okay, so who cares if... And they come out and they say these stories. And sometimes it's a one-time thing. And sometimes... They'll have a childhood experiences all the way in through adolescence where they witness um, either ghosts or weird stuff. And it's like what he said, it's it's not the place where you're living at. It's you. You know, some of them have latent psychic abilities. There's something that they're putting out that uh, a discarnate entity recognizes. You know, you might be able to hear me. You might be able to see me. And that's why... And sometimes a lot of these discarnates will make an appearance in their death state, which is, in other words, a very scary, depending on what happened to them, especially if it was a traumatic death. Uh, they, the person, the psychic person, the medium in this case, sees them in some version of what they look like when they met their end. And in some cases, believe it or not, some of these spirits, all they want is to tell somebody or acknowledgement or they're, they're lost, they're confused, they don't understand what happened to them. They're not even sure they're dead in some cases. It's, it's going to be a lot of things. But again, I urge you to visit Amazon and look up Steve Stockton. And he also made mention of his YouTube channels. Uh, either way, you know, subscribe. And with me, if you haven't subscribed, hit the bell for notifications. Also, you can find my books over on Amazon under Marlene Pardo Pellicer. I'm about to release my fifth 
fiction book called The Dead Cast, No Shadow, Simone Novella number two. And that's a supernatural thriller, urban fantasy kind of book, weird, that kind of deal. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, so again, guys, thank you so much for coming and joining me every week. You're all wonderful. And again, if you have stories, you can send them to me at Marlene at MyAmigosChronicles.com. If you want links to the shows or the podcast, go to MarlenePardo.com or MyAmigosChronicles.com. Take care. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. <laughs>